1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. First of all, I am sitting here today. I feel like I am at a time machine. I, I feel like I am eight years younger, or at least I feel like I am back eight years. This, what is going on in Madison today is just one of these things that, that convinces me that pretty much everybody on the right and on the left have completely and totally, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Oh, yeah, lost their minds. All right, let, let us start. With what is going on, there is a lame duck session of the state legislature going on. And by the way, we are live streaming the segment, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can watch and participate that fashion. There is a lame duck session. Um, there is, and we're, I'm going to kind of bury the lead for just a second because we're going to open up the phone lines and talk about this. But, but first of all, during this lame duck session, what you have going on is you have the Republicans are going to continue to control both houses of the legislature. Matter of fact, their grip on the state Senate is even greater. But, of course, the big story is Governor Walker lost by like 20,000 votes. So you're going to have Governor Tony Evers starting in January. So what the Republicans in the legislature are doing is they are – considering and getting ready to pass a series of changes, new laws that would either codify regulations or would, in some respects, limit the power of the governor. Certain things that they let Scott Walker do, Tony Evers would no longer be able to do. Now, the the truth of the matter is most of these changes are are relatively minor, most of them. And so it is interesting to me and I have been doing this so you do not have to, to read the hysteria of what is going on. For example, editorial in one of the Madison papers refers to this as denigrating and bringing Wisconsin to the level of a third world country. There are ragtag groups of protesters, and it looks like the same people that were hanging out eight years ago during, you know, the Act 10 controversy, now they have been given an excuse to come back. And they're talking about, oh, this is a coup, and things like that. I mean, to which you want to seriously say, my God, do you folks have no sense of perspective, and, and don't you desperately need a life? Now, I understand we're going to get to this in just a minute. Reasonable people can disagree about what is going on. But this idea that, oh, we're, we're now, we've got to storm the legislature because, gee, they're going to change some regulatory authority. Oh, my goodness gracious. How how desperate and how out of touch do you have to be? But, again, this is what is going on there. Also, I am stunned by the hypocrisy of this. Now, a couple hours ago, I I sent out a tweet, and it is interesting because about an hour after I sent out a tweet, the Journal Sentinel posted something, and and we're, we're talking about the same story, but we talk about it from different perspectives. For all the people on the left who are just outraged. Oh, this is a coup. This is terrible. This is awful. It, it's a, we're turning into a banana republic. I take you back to about eight years ago. And if you will remember, what happened eight years ago is after the 2010 elections, before the 2010 elections, you had Governor Jim Doyle. He did not run for reelection. And you had Democrats who had, uh, had control of both the Assembly and the State Senate. They'd lost control in the 2010 election. So what they tried to do, and a matter of fact, if you follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 on Twitter, I sent out a link to, to this story. During the lame duck session eight years ago, when Scott Walker was coming in, 
and when the Democrats were going out of power in the legislature, what they tried to do about this time of year is they tried to pass a series of union contracts that Doyle had negotiated, and they tried to pass them before the Republican legislature took over, knowing that the Republican legislature wasn't going to go for them when the Republicans controlled it. Scott Walker, Scott Walker, eight years ago, said, I don't want you to do this. This is going to hamstring us. Look, you know, you're you're leaving. The Doyle administration is leaving. Democrats don't do this. There's a new sheriff coming to town, and we should be able to make the decisions. And the Democrats blasted ahead. The only reason they failed is that one of their members, um, Russ Decker, decided that he wasn't going to go along with this. As a matter of fact, I've got a link to the story in the, the Madison papers, and he, he was called a traitor, et cetera, et cetera, but he refused to go ahead and do this during the lame duck session. So for all these people that are storming the Capitol and talking about, oh, this is a third world country, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, really? Eight years ago, I don't remember seeing the outrage from the left about this. I don't remember seeing stories in the Washington Post and the New York Times talking about, oh, this is this terrible power grab and things like that when it was on the other side. Now, that's one way of looking at it. Now, I also want to give, you know, I want to be fair here. The Journal Sentinel approaches it like they typically do from the view of the left. They say, well, eight years ago, Governor Walker, when he was taking over, he was cautioning people against doing this. And, you know, they're exactly right. So my point is, there's a lot of hypocrisy on both sides. And it is sort of exasperating to me to see that, oh, all these people on the left, oh, this is terrible, this is awful that the Republicans are doing it. When, like I say, eight years ago, the left tried to do exactly the same thing and were were stopped when, again, one of their members, Russ Decker and Senate, bolted. So you have to have some degree of perspective on all of this. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Now, having said that and acknowledging hypocrisy from the outrage on the left and inconsistency with what Republicans were saying eight years ago. I want to go back to the underlying point, and and please understand me. I think a number of the regulatory changes, and apparently the idea of of separating the presidential primary, moving it from April until March, that's now off the table, and and that's, that's good. That was a, that idea, if if done for the reasons that they said that they were thinking about doing it was so incredibly dumb that if it were, well, if it were any less dumb, it would wink. I mean, there's just no question about it. Now, it might be that it ultimately makes sense at some point in time to say, hey, we'd like to move up the presidential primary from April to March because we want to have Wisconsin have a bigger role in deciding who the president is. You might be able to make that argument, but that's not why people were talking about moving the date of the presidential primary up. It was to make it now easier, perhaps, at least the perception was perhaps easier for the conservative Supreme Court justice to be elected uh, next in, in um, spring of 2020. That's a bad reason to do stuff. Although ultimately, like I say, it might make sense to move up the presidential primary, but that's a debate you should have on, on its own merits. So that idea is off the table. There are a number of regulatory things that are on the table and are going to be considered. And even though 
I am stunned by, again, the hypocrisy on both sides. And even though, candidly, I think some of the things that the legislature is talking about doing might be good policy, as much as it pains me to say this, and believe me, it does, it does, I think the Republicans are wrong in trying to push this stuff through in an extraordinary session. And I'm trying to be consistent intellectually. Eight years ago, I remember sitting behind this very microphone and ripping the Democrat majorities for trying to, again, hamstring Governor Walker, incoming Governor Walker's administration, by passing union contracts that he was not on board with. I thought that was wrong to do it in the lame duck session. Similarly, even though I am sympathetic to a lot of the regulatory stuff that the Republicans are talking about doing, and even though I I think ultimately it, it might make for a better operation of the state, I think elections have consequences. And I think to do this at this point in time, simply because you have the raw political power to do it, I think that's bad policy. And I will admit, I can't get past the procedural stuff to get to, you know, the heart of the issue. And I think this makes the Republicans look bad, not not crazy bad like the nuts that are out there protesting in Madison. I mean, it's not the end of the world in that respect. But as a matter of policy, I think, you know, if Scott Walker had this power and could exercise his power when he was the governor, or Brad Schimmel had power to exercise things when he was attorney general. It's not right to change the rules simply because you have somebody from the other party who has been elected. And I like to think that I would feel the same way if the situation were reversed. All right, with that said, let's open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the Republicans go ahead vote, make these changes, should Governor Walker sign it, or big picture, is that a bad idea for any number of reasons? 414-799-1620. We're back with your calls in just a moment. And again, we are live streaming, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. It's 1218. This is Jeff Wagner. 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, it's not that I disagree with some of the things that the Republicans in the Assembly and the state senator are considering doing in this lame duck session. But my problem is it is a lame duck session. Governor Walker is leaving power. There was an election a month ago. A lot of people don't agree with the results of the election. I'm not sure Tony Evers has a mandate. It was very, very close. Voters, I think, voted for divided government. But I think this idea that while the Republicans still have power, They're going to do certain things to take away power from the incoming attorney general and the governor. Look, truth is, if the situation were reversed, I would be screaming bloody murder. I try to be consistent about this. 414-799-1620. That's why, even though I agree with a lot of stuff they're considering doing, I just don't think they're going about it the right way. Jerry in Whitefish Bay. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Uh, Yes, I I actually uh, agree with you, Jeff. I I kind of, I'm a Democrat. I feel like uh, like the recall was a bad idea, even though I, you know, deep right. down I kind of wanted it. I thought it was a bad idea and it hurt him. So I'm a little torn on this as a Democrat. A little bit part of me says do it, go ahead and do it, and pay the price in two years. Right. I mean, between it, it's just it just seems like dirty. You know, they, they're getting too big for their britches, kind of like 
Mike McCarthy was a little too big for his britches. Job security. Well, but but the truth, you know, interestingly, though, Jerry, I mean, I don't see people forget. I don't think anybody remembered, you know, what happened eight years ago with what the Democrats tried to do with getting those contracts and stuff passed. I mean, people forget stuff. And and I I think, you know, collectively, the electorate has a very short memory. But even having said that, there's there's a right way to go about policymaking and there's a wrong way to go about policymaking, you know? I, I agree, and I, I think that uh, I, I think it hurt the Democrats having the recall. Yes, I and agree. I, I, I personally think they would have got Walker out of office sooner had they not done that. Because a lot of people, like you said, looked at it and said, "You know what? Let the guy serve his term and and vote him out at the during a regular election." And right. it's just it seems like there's a little bit of dirty politics in that to me, and. And sour grapes, big well, time. I, and I think no, I think a lot of people look at it like that. I mean, thanks for calling. No, see, I mean, here, here's one thing that the new legislature could do. If these, if all these ideas are, are great on their merit, what happens is the new legislature could pass these different laws. Nothing saying they can't. It then goes to Tony Evers' desk. He'll be the governor. He vetoes them. Then it goes back to the legislature, and they can make the case as to why this is good or whatever, and they can try to get enough votes to override the you know the governor's veto. Now, that might not happen as a practical matter because they don't have a two-thirds majority. They don't have the votes they necessarily need to do it, but maybe that means trying to win some Democrats over. I just... I, I think that changing the rules at this stage of the game makes you look petty. Is it a coup? I mean, again, the, the reaction from the, the people that are storming the Capitol in Madison is, to me, completely and totally out of proportion to what's going on. But at the same time, that, that doesn't mean that way, 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 way deep down, they might have a point. 414-799-1620. Jeff in Iron Ridge. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. Yeah, I just I think this is more of the same thing that cost the uh, Republicans the election in November, where they are just failing to recognize basic messaging, basic sales 101 of what their agenda is. You know, they, they, they go ahead and do this. They don't think it through. You know, you, you look at the Foxconn deal. We had so many things to be proud of over the last eight years. And what did they do with their message? Oh, we're going to have... Three dollar gas. Well, right. well, yeah, you could you could believe that, or well, all they had to do is say he's going to add two billion dollars to the state budget. Right? You really want that, people? Put it in terms that people believe. They don't think about messaging. Yeah, and, and thanks for calling again. I mean, I think part of the problem here, what's going on, is there. If, if you talk to Governor Walker, as I have about the whole thing with Act 10. I mean, he will tell you he has no regrets about Act 10. He believes he did exactly the right thing. I think what he believes is maybe, you know, you didn't sell it to the people in the right fashion. And now I don't know if that's true or not, but I guess I look at this the same way. If if we were looking at reining in the powers of the chief executive, maybe you want, I think you can make an argument, seriously, that maybe the governor, the office of the governor, has developed you know, two much power, you know, in the checks and balances sort of system. I don't argue about that. I, I, I don't. But it looks bad. It is just bad form to come in in the last days when people are going out the door and you're going to have a new governor and come in and try to strip that new governor away from power. I would rather give Tony Evers the power to do what he's going to do and then just deal with this. You know, if he does stuff 
that is not in the best interest of the state? Well, okay, you've got an election in two years and you've got another election in four years. But I'm the guy that says elections have consequences for everybody who complains about the Affordable Care Act. All right. Elections have consequences for everybody who complains that Donald Trump is president. Well, elections have consequences. He won. So you, you have to just say, all right, we're, people are going to move on. And I, you, you see this on both sides. I mean, that's why I started off this thing by talking about the ultimate hypocrisy from the people on the left who were trying to do the same thing eight years ago. But regardless, it doesn't mean that it's good policy. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Darren. Darren, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, uh, Jeff, I just uh, appreciate the the topic. And uh, Where are you calling, just, Dar- Darren, where are you calling from? It's uh Brazil. Um, I, I'm, I'm from Milwaukee, live downtown, but uh, my wife's doing a medical residency here. And uh, So you're in, you are in Brazil, the country of Brazil. Yeah. Okay. The city, city of Brazil, That's right. Me. Okay, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, okay, both yeah. welcome. <laughs> I saw that note, and I was thinking, I know most of the towns in Wisconsin, and I've never heard of Brazil, Wisconsin. <laughs> you are in Brazil, Brazil. <laughs> Great, the city. Yeah, yeah. yes, I am. Yes. Super. Uh, what do you think? So, Well, you know what? I, I agree with you on this, Jeff. It just, it just, it's making a, uh, a picture of people not trusting government. And I, and, uh, I think this is, you know, it's kind of the reason when the recall election uh, happened a lot of Democrats, including my parents, voted for Walker uh, on the recall because they just didn't think it was right. And, you know, I think we're Wisconsin are genuinely, you know, principled people. And yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, this is this is like you said, it's bad form. And I think there's going to be a consequence for this. And I just I don't think it's in my opinion and I think it's shared opinion with other people. It's just it's it's a bad idea. It's just a bad idea. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and it has the potential for for backlash. Again, if if these policies you're talking about, let's go back to the whole idea of, like, for example, moving the presidential primary. I think you can make a strong argument why that may be a good idea. But to do it at this point in time with the express purpose of trying to help one candidate, that, that just doesn't fly. It, it just doesn't fly. It doesn't pass the smell test. And I think they're better off just bailing on that. Yes, so, I agree. Well, well, thanks for listening all the way from the country of Brazil. I have never been to Brazil, but... I'm down here. I love the weather's great. <laughs> yeah, th- thanks for the call, huh? It's, I don't know, I don't know, the country of Brazil. I mean, kind of right next to Peru and things like that, sort of by Bolivia. My guess is a lot warmer than 31 degrees out here. Well, in any event, I'm sorry, we have jam phone lines, but we're going to move on. I just, th- this is where I come down on this. I think the Republicans in the legislature are going to go ahead and do this. They- they've sort of... Uh, decided the die is cast, and so they're going to do it. My guess is the governor is probably going to sign this. I don't think we've heard the end of it. I'm not worried about the litigation and things like that, but I am worried about the precedent. And, and candidly, I want to be in a position when this happens next, whether it's in the U.S. government or whether it's in the state government, I want to be consistent. And I think that you got to be really careful when you do things in a lame duck situation. 1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Lawmakers are set to wrap up their lame duck session in Madison today. What happens moving forward? Gene Miller has the latest tune in, 751 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Okay, let us... Let us switch gears. I want to share a story that was out there um, yesterday and over the weekend. I think maybe the best way to get into this is I want to read a portion of it the way it was reported in the Washington Post. This is the Washington Post yesterday. 
Woman in wheelchair abandoned at O'Hare Airport after her flight is canceled. All right. American Airlines will reexamine procedures for how it deals with passengers traveling in wheelchairs following an incident in which a 67-year-old woman was left abandoned at Chicago O'Hare International Airport after her flight was canceled. Olympia Warsaw was traveling back to Detroit on American Airlines last week after attending her ex-husband's funeral in Chicago. Her son, Claude, Claude Colty, told CBS Chicago that he escorted his mother to her gate, checked to see that the flight was leaving as scheduled before leaving to catch his own flight. But Warsaw's flight ended up being canceled. Colte, that's the son, told CBS Chicago that the airline assigned a porter to take care of his mother. Warsaw, that's the mother, was offered a hotel room, but the porter service said it was unable to take her to the hotel. The porter, who is not an airline employee and who works for an outside contractor, allegedly said his shift was over and left Warsaw. Because Warsaw has difficulty communicating, her family said she couldn't find her own transportation to the hotel. Family members became concerned when Warsaw did not arrive in Detroit as scheduled. They contacted American and told the television station that the airline could not locate their mother. O'Hare security officials eventually located Warsaw several hours later. The American Airlines team is deeply concerned about what happened Friday evening in Chicago. This is not the level of service we aspire to provide to our customers. We apologize to Ms. Warsaw and her family for letting them down. In addition to losing track of Warsaw, the airline lost her luggage on her flight to Chicago, her family said, etc., etc. All right. Now, now, I want you to think about this because you want to hit something that, that really hits home. You've got you know, your elderly mother. Who's you know in and I guess I'm saying elderly. She's 67 years old. For some people, they might not think of that as elderly, but 67 year old woman. She doesn't communicate well. She's in a wheelchair, and the deal is the the argue, the story was she gets left in an airport overnight. She's abandoned in this airport, and then you know the story goes on about how she it, the, the they started embellishing the story about how the woman couldn't go to the bathroom and she had to find some. Uh, passenger to help her do that and how terrible this is and I know now I didn't happen to do this but I know that there were I'm sure this was a topic of discussion my guess is if you tuned into talk radio shows all across the country yesterday you had people just lighting up American Airlines how can you be this incompetent what happens what happens well it turns out that there is more to this story here is the story in today's Washington Post Right. Security foot. This is the headline. Security footage shows woman in wheelchair was not abandoned at O'Hare Airport. She used a walker to go outside to smoke and was picked up after less than an hour. American Airlines says son rebooked the flight. So here's what the story says. Information released late Monday by American Airlines contradicts a family's claim that their 67-year-old mother was left stranded in her wheelchair for hours at O'Hare International Airport after her flight was canceled Friday. Olympia Warsaw was scheduled to leave on an American Airlines flight from Chicago to Detroit on Friday after attending her ex-husband's funeral. Her son told CBS Chicago that he escorted his mother to the gate, etc., etc., Warsaw's flight was canceled. All right, so I told you the story. Here's it. The family claimed they did not know that the mother had been stranded until she failed to arrive in Detroit as scheduled. It was then they contacted American. The family told the station the airline was unable to locate their mother. She was eventually found by O'Hare security officers several hours later. But 
A timeline released by American Airlines shows that a representative from the contractor, this would be the the porter with the wheelchair, a representative from the contractor assigned to take care of Warsaw spoke with the son at least twice. Airline officials say records show that the son rebooked his mother on a flight leaving Saturday afternoon and said that he would send someone to pick her up at the airport. We launched an investigation with a Chicago team and the porter we utilize that provides wheelchair service at O'Hare. The airline said after a review of closed-circuit TV footage, it determined that Ms. Warsaw was dropped off in the terminal at 12.30 a.m. and a family member arrived at the airport to pick her up at 1.13 a.m. According to the airline's timeline, the lady was escorted to a wheelchair waiting area located on the upper level of the airport. Once there, video footage shows her twice using a walker to go outside to smoke a cigarette before being met by a woman. The woman pushes Warsaw towards the door, but then stops to take a cell phone picture of her sitting in the wheelchair. The woman then walks away and returns two minutes later. The video shows she flagged down a police officer with whom she spoke briefly. The woman then wheeled Warsaw to a waiting SUV where a man is waiting. The group left the airport. Earlier Monday, before the investigation, airline officials had apologized and said they had refunded her ticket. So, in other words, the story about the mother being abandoned for hours is complete and total BS. What, what happened is, apparently, the Porter Service was in touch with the son on a couple occasions. He made arrangements to rebook the woman, his mother. He said that we'd have somebody, somebody will come and pick her up, and then they, they did. So they brought her up, they put her in the wheelchair waiting area, and 45 minutes later, all right, a family member roll, comes up, and, and they take her home. So this idea of this woman being abandoned appears to be a complete and total Well, made-up story. I was going to use another word, but we'll just say made-up story. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. If it turns out that these people did, in fact, lie about what American Airlines did, if this was a scam for whatever purposes, what should happen to them? 414-799-1620. Because my guess is you had hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who saw this story, who came to the conclusion that, oh, my gosh, American Airlines left a 67-year-old woman who can't get around, can't go to the bathroom, stuck in a wheelchair, abandoned for hours. And it now appears that that is not the case at all. And interestingly enough, the son, the guy who went to the TV stations to file this complaint and tell the story, it, it now appears, you know, he's gone underground. He's not talking to anybody. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should American Airlines, well, what would you do if you were American Airlines and the victim of this type of bad publicity? 414-799-1620, if you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. The stock market is in, in an absolute and total free fall. Um, Dow Jones down 708 points. That's 2.75%. It's even worse. The NASDAQ, which is the, the kind of the tech-heavy aspect of the market, uh, that's down 238 points. But 
That that's three point two percent. I mean, it's just a bloodbath, and there, there's no real good explanation for. It. I mean, sometimes you can look and you can say that there's something going on. For example, yesterday the market had a really good day, and that was because you, you had the president and China kind of backed off on the trade war. Today, th- this is just it's kind of like I, all I can see is it's fear of fear of earnings and maybe the economy is slowing down and so you know you have just just a really really ugly day now financial advisors tell you you know don't overreact and don't panic and i get that but still you know when you look and you see that the stock market the dow is down 2.72 percent and the nasdaq is down 3.18 percent i understand it's only paper money but it's our retirement money maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later all right right now we're talking about the story this was big news two days ago i think almost every major cable news outlet covered it a woman supposedly abandoned a 67 year old woman abandoned in a wheelchair at o'hare now turns out it appears to be a scam none of the stuff the sun said was true where do we go from here mary in menominee falls mary good afternoon hi yeah i think uh the airline should go after the sun and also i just think it was irresponsible reporting also because there's always two three four sides to a story and for the sun to then just report to the washington post or to the news or whatever and they just say oh well this is what happened this is what the man says happened and so we're just going to put that out there and then the following day or uh, over the weekend they find out more investigation right. and they find out what the real story is well now they got to retract right. and say oh well really that's not really what happened so i think it's irresponsible on those reporters to uh, just put out there what the man said but i think the american airlines airlines should go after the man i i do and mary thanks for coming now again this this is another one we've had this this is the second time this has come up in this hour as much as it pains me sometimes to report to to uh, again defend the way stories are covered in this particular case my, my understanding of what happened is that the sun runs to the cbs affiliate in chicago and tells the story and i mean and it's a great i mean it's a horrible thing if it happened but i mean from the perspective of a newsroom it's a great story you've got compelling pictures you've got this older woman who can't get out of the wheelchair well it turns out she can get out of the wheelchair you know because she you know goes out for a smoke twice that's one of the like dazzling details but you know you, you so but i mean understand it's got great pictures it's compelling now in defense of the reporters once they got this story they contacted american airlines and american airlines undoubtedly because look if i'm the pr people from american airlines i see what a disaster this is because this is just such a compelling story my god you essentially abandoned a 67 year old woman who can't get out of a wheelchair she's abandoned for hours and hours so i mean they contacted american airlines and american airlines said this is unacceptable we apo-. They, they tried to get ahead of it american airlines said this is unacceptable we apologize we're going to refund the stuff we're going to investigate to make sure this doesn't happen again so at that point in time i mean i understand why the reporters run with it because american airlines isn't saying hold on we don't think this is right american airlines is saying we apologize for this so they did get that other opinion so i don't know that i fault any news director or something for running with the story because you did get the other side it turns out though that once american airlines does more investigation we now know that these folks were were scammers here is the problem i guess the way i see this is that you know i there, there are legitimate problems where, you know, airlines or, you know, any sort of anyone in the service industry, you know, has, has screw ups and that can happen and people can, I think, be appropriately outraged. The problem is when you get stuff that appears like this to be fake, what it ends up doing is it makes you doubt the legitimate claims that are out there. And I seriously, 
they're not going to do it as a practical matter. But if I'm American Airlines, I'm I'm seriously considering whether or not I want to bring some sort of lawsuit against the son who apparently decided that I, I don't know if he was trying to set things up for a lawsuit down the road. I don't know if this was some like weird sort of way to try to get his 15 minutes of fame. I don't know exactly what the motivation was, but you know it had to hurt American Airlines. Steve on the east side. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I do agree with what you just said at the end, that um, not only I'm hoping they retracted the the voucher, the free voucher for airline, I hope they did, um, but yeah, I think they should tabulate. All the um, all the money and resources that went into looking this thing over, and that should be the monetary amount they go after this the sun for. Right. And if he, yeah, I mean, because that's wasted time for everyone. And who's got that kind of time? Well, you right. Don't. Plus, there plus there's the damages. I mean, the reality is, right. you know, the, the mm-hmm. thing we always just say is you can't unring a bell. We we, right. we now know that this appears to be a completely BS story. But I'm betting that there's a lot of people who saw that yesterday who went, "Oh my God, this is terrible." Who knows what you know Im- damage a story like this does to the image of American Airlines? I mean, my exactly. guess is pe- people that saw this story that for example, might be flying their their parents or whatever to visit them over the holidays. They're looking at this saying, we're never going to put our parents on American Airlines, and it turns out to be a scam. You're right. I agree 100%. Frustrating. No, thank, Thank thanks for calling. And it's just, see, it, it's, it's stuff like this that, that ends up just being aggravating in the extreme to me because – Again, there, there's so much out there that legitimately goes wrong, and you have so much bad customer service and things like that, that when you have people try to you know, manipulate the system, and that's certainly what this appears to, to be, and you have the son who's running, you know, it was interesting to me, and I, I will tell you, this is one of the lessons I've learned in years and years of doing the show, is a lot of times people will come to you with stories, and they're just, they're compelling, and they've got, in this case, you know, for TV, great pictures or whatever, and you listen to these stories, and there's always something in the back of your mind going, this story just doesn't sound right. There, there's just, you know, there, there's something going on here. And the, the problem is, a lot of times if stories sound too good to be true or too interesting to be true or, hey, we're going to win a Pulitzer Prize or whatever, you know, a lot of times they, they're they aren't there and this is another one of those stories and american airlines victimized by what appears to be a couple of scammers i don't know where they go to get their reputation back but uh nothing nothing good to be said about the people who who did this 1254 jeff wagner wtmj it's 1257 jeff wagner wtmj so glad to have you with us coming up in less than 10 minutes they're dissing sully I will tell you the story. I cannot wait to get your reaction. All right, before that, I, I know sometimes I sound like a broken record on, on giving money to panhandlers. And the city of Milwaukee, of course, now actively discourages people from doing that. I'm one of these guys. It just drives me crazy that now in violation of some of the Milwaukee ordinances, you still get off the freeway and you see these sometimes aggressive panhandlers walking up and down the street trying to flag cars down, getting money from people. Whenever I talk about that, I I get a a small number of people who say, well, you know, Jeff, don't you understand? They're, They're down on their luck and they need help. And to which I always say, look, I'm not saying don't give money to help charities. Give it to a food bank. Find Hunger Task Force. Give them money. Give money to, you know, a soup kitchen. Give money to a rescue mission. I'm, I'm all in favor of that. But, you know, when you give money to panhandlers, you never know what it's going to be used for. Here is the flip side of this. Story happened just the other day. A Maryland woman 
was stabbed to death this is Saturday after she rolled down her car window to give money to a woman who was holding a sign that read, please help me feed my baby. Apparently <coughs> what happened was that she she stops her car at, at an intersection. This is out of Baltimore. And she sees this woman that she's that, who's holding a baby and a cardboard sign asking for help. She rolls down her window to try to give the woman money. And then what happens is an unidentified man approaches the vehicle, then tries to steal her wallet, and then takes a knife and stabs the woman in the chest when she resists giving up her wallet. The man and the woman, the panhandlers, flee. The lady dies. So I'm not saying that happens every time, but, you know, if you want another reason not to give money to somebody you don't know on the street, this might be it. Okay, when we come back after the news, they're dissing Sully. Stick around. It's 107, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Eric Bilstead, are you a dog guy? Do you have dogs? We do not have a dog, but I, I like dogs. We used oh. to. Okay, got it. No, I, all right, just, I, I was just wondering. I, I am a dog guy, mm-hmm. and um, it, it, it gener- as a matter of fact, when... When Fran and I first started dating, um, I said, "Look, you, you know, you, you don't have to love dogs, but you got to love my dog. <laughs> you know, that's that, that's kind of the that's kind of the deal." Sure. I, and I, I admit, my my dog, it just she makes my heart melt. You know, today I'm I'm running late. I'm I'm trying to get ready for the show. I'm at home, and and the dog just comes up next to me, and she wants her belly rubbed, and I'm like, I don't have time for this, but I I can't help you. Know, you you got to give her five minutes. I'm sure. thinking, you know, it's just I it, everything else can wait because it's just how you are with dogs. Did you see that picture yesterday of Sully in front of President Bush's mm, casket? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I we we were. Um, I went out. My wife and I went out to dinner last night, and we were eating. We were at the bar eating, and there were you know other couples and stuff around the bar, and we we just got to talking about stuff, and the we got to talking about dogs, and then that picture. Mm-hmm. Everybody pulled up that picture, and I mean, people were going, "My God, look at this picture of this dog!" Yeah. I mean, it, it's just so absolutely incredible. And I thought, yeah, it's it is. It's it's why that hashtag was, you know, people don't deserve dogs. It was a feel good story, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Can anybody can anybody be mad at Sully? Should anybody the, the dog? Should anybody be mad at Sully? A service dog who takes time with veterans? No, I don't think you can be mad at Sully. All right. Well, then you will like to listen to the story that's coming up. <laughs> oh, All right. Thanks. All right. <laughs> All right. Slate, which is a a kind of which it, it's a left wing publication. There's a staff writer for Slate named Ruth Graham, and after this picture comes out, that clearly. I mean, this is an iconic picture, and you know what I'm talking about. It's the casket of President Bush, and it's Sully the dog, like, laying in front of it. After this comes out, in an effort, I guess, to be contrarian or whatever, this staff writer for Slate magazine decides this is what she is going to write. The column is titled, Don't Spend Your Emotional Energy on Sully H.W. Bush. And so the piece begins by pointing out, first of all, that Sully, the dog, wasn't a lifelong companion, but rather he had only been with the president for six months. And also going on to point out that the service dog had all been ready to be reassigned to Walter Reed National Military Hospital. All right. Um, let's see. The piece goes on to say, it's wonderful for Bush that he had trained canine service animal like Sully available to him in his last months. It's a good thing the dog is moving on to another gig where he can be helpful to other people rather than becoming another Bush family pet, Graham wrote. But it's a bit demented 
to project soul-wrenching grief onto a dog's decision to lay down in front of a casket. Is Sully heroic for learning to obey the human beings who taught him to perform certain tasks? Does the photo say anything special about this dog's particular loyalty or judgment, or is he just there? Also, if dogs are subject to praise for obeying their masters, what do we do about pets who eat their owners dead or even just passed out bodies? The photograph, in other words, is not proof that Sully is a particularly good boy or that, quote, we don't deserve dogs, as countless swooning tweets put it on Monday. On its own, it says almost nothing other than the fact that Sully was at one point in the same room as the casket of his former boss. This is simply a photograph of a dog doing something dogs love to do, lie down. The frenzy around it captures something humans love to do, too, project our own emotional needs onto animals. When I saw this, I remember sitting there thinking, how how can anybody be so twisted and so craven that you're going to look at something like this and you're going to say, oh, God, come on, this, this is just a dog laying down. I can't believe that any human would actually really be projecting something onto this dog, that the dog might be experiencing grief. I mean, don't you know, this dog was probably this just there. Dog just decided it was going to lie down. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let, let me start th- th- this off. I mean, first of all, I think, and I firmly believe, that dogs, I think they they do experience loss. I think that they know when things are wrong. I think that they know when things are amiss, and I I think they react accordingly. How many people who own, and I understand there's people who aren't dog people, but how many people who are dog people have been through, say, a tragedy in their own life, and the dog picks it up? And the dog understands that. And the dog is there in the way that dogs do to try to provide comfort. How many people have had a situation where maybe you have two dogs, one of the dogs passes away, the other dog ends up lost? Maybe it's a situation where there's a tragedy involving the house. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that this particular writer probably thought that she was being clever, probably thought she was being cute, had a degree of disdain for this. But how can you look at that picture of that particular animal in front of that casket and not have your heart melt as well? Why would somebody try to say, oh, there's probably nothing more than the dog just laying down? See, I don't buy that. I think dogs know what's going on. I think that um, they experience grief and they react accordingly. And I guess maybe... Maybe this was just, hey, the dog was tired and decided that that's where it wanted to camp out. But that's not how I choose to think about this. 414-799-1620. And how how shallow, nasty, and Grinch-like could you be to decide that this is the article that you are going to write? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Dissing Sully, did we swoon unnecessarily? Did we overreact by looking at this photo and saying, hey, this this touches my heartstrings? I'm sorry, I'm not going to apologize by being moved by this photograph. I, I think it's an iconic photograph that will survive 
survive long after maybe our immediate recollections of the funeral of President Bush are gone. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Wendy in Hales Corners. Wendy, you're first. Good afternoon. Wendy. Wendy. Hi, Wendy. Go ahead. Wendy, you got to turn down your radio. Okay. Okay. Otherwise, you hear yourself seven seconds later. Hi, Wendy. What do you think? Wendy? Okay, tell you what, let's, we've got problems with that connection. Jordan is lining up to call us. Let me take a quick break. We'll be back with more of your calls in just a moment. I admit, this comes from my perspective as a hardcore dog lover, but, I I mean, I'm not going to poo-poo that photograph. I think... I think people, I think animals relate to things that go on in the lives of humans much more than people want to give them credit for. And I think this is just all all this picture is, is us projecting our own emotional needs into animals. Don't believe that. We're back with your calls in just a moment. 115, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 118, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'm sorry. The picture of the service dog, Sully. In front of George H.W. Bush's casket on Sunday, that is going to be an iconic photograph that is around for the ages. And it's a photograph that just absolutely makes my heart melt. I was talking, again, I'm, I, I'm, I'm eating dinner at this bar in a restaurant last night, and that's all everybody at the bar is talking about to the point that there was a couple that was there that hadn't seen it, and somebody else pulls out their phone and they, they pull this up, and everybody goes, oh my gosh, I, oh my gosh. And yet, this writer, for Slate Magazine, has to come out with something yesterday. Don't spend your emotional energy on Sully. Really? 414-799-1620. Gene in Elkhart Lake. Gene, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, really enjoy your show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that very much. Yes, this this person that wrote that is so far out, uh, I, I don't know what to say. Just ridiculous. I mean, dog. I, I mean, dogs take their emotional cues. I, I'm, I'm convinced of this from from the people around them. They know when something is wrong in the household. They they just they do. I, you'll never convince me otherwise. Yes, and, and we have experienced that because we dog sit for our daughter's dog occasionally, and my wife occasionally gets these severe cramps. Right. And when she got that severe cramp just about three days ago, that dog just sat by her, and the ears were down, and she just looked so concerned. Yep. They, right. They they know. I mean, no, th- thanks for that. They know when something is wrong. Take this from the perspective of somebody who, you know, you know, I, I mean, if you've ever known anybody who's gone through a serious illness and you watch the way the dog reacts to that person who's going through the serious illness, they know something is wrong. Tom and Racine. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Excellent topic today. Um, I have a black lab. She's a 12 year old lab. And Labradors in particular are very, very attuned to their master and their surroundings and to the point where it's, it's been told and now it's pretty much documented. I could, I could swear by it that most dogs in general at fully grown have the same mental attitude or the same mental, uh, abilities as a two or three year old child. Mm-hmm. And it, when, when I, when I had, uh, I was really, really sick with that flu last year. My dog would not leave my side. Uh, it, it was really, really heartwarming. And I think this, this lady that, uh, wrote the article, it 
did not know what she's talking about, and 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 she has a cruel nature. It's just it's just wrong. Well, it, I love the picture of the dog by the president's coffin. It's great. It, well, it, it is. Thank and this thanks to and the implication. Well, this is all these people are projecting, and this is this is just the dog doing what dogs do that they they lay down. I I will tell you, my 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 dog Sasha, she she um my my wife works second. She's in the hospitality industry, so she works she works evenings a lot of times, and you know let's say she gets home. 9 30 10 o'clock or, or whatever the the dog my dog will just she doesn't have a wristwatch my dog knows about 8 30 at night she will go she'll leave the room that i'm in like if i'm in the living room and she will go and she will position herself by the door that my wife comes in on she's waiting for her to come in they know these things and they don't have a clock to look at i mean just dogs know that type of stuff Let's talk to, um, let's see, Kathleen in Fond du Lac. Kathleen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Such a great topic. My experience is this. I'm a dog lover. And uh, 19 years ago, I was dying of end-stage heart failure. I was at home. Eventually, did get a transplant. Wow. But uh, my dog, Bandit, never left my side. Mm-hmm. All I could do was lie on the couch. He never moved, except to go outside, of course. Right. He he took care of me the whole time. Amazing. Is it, isn't that something? And, and and so you know when you hear, oh, we, we shouldn't project all this stuff on onto our own emotional needs onto animals. That's clearly, I think, written from the perspective of somebody who just has no no idea what dogs really are about. And cats might be that way too. But, I don't know. I'm just a dog guy. <laughs> well, and I'm a dog woman, and yes. I live with this devoted animal oh yeah absolutely thanks because see i I just and i i just it was such a feel-good picture it it just was and the other thing that like strikes me about this whole story is why why would you feel even if you believed that i mean even if you believe that oh this is all getting you know blown out of proportion that the dog was probably just wandering around and just decided to do what dogs do which is lay down and the photographer thought an opportunity for you know a photo op and took the picture even if you really believe that why in the blank would you say it you know, just just i mean why would you try to what make yourself feel superior to all these people like me and maybe you who just kind of looked at this and said this is really a heartwarming type of thing and i'm getting a whole bunch of texts jeff we love dogs i cried when i saw sully by the casket we hang on your every word when you talk about sasha the writer is a cold-hearted person well i don't know about that but um uh yes let's see jeff the author knew exactly what she was doing she was grabbing for her 15 minutes there is a reason that they use dogs for service they are obedient caring and are perfect for emotional support i would rather my dog be at my side when i'm hurting because the dog knows it and he comforts me um Yes, yes. Uh, Jeff, the writer is a joyless idiot. The photo is exemplary in showing human dog love. Even the Grinch loved his dog. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you have to say, you know, that people people loved Sully and there was that connection and why you would decide that you were going to try to, I don't know, I don't know, burst people's bubble to make yourself superior or whatever. Just absolutely beyond me. 125, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, well, lots of stuff on today's program, including do you tip the person that makes you black coffee? And what about a government shutdown? 
two completely different topics. Stick around. It's 125. It's 135. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Now, I have to confess at the beginning of this segment that while I am an avid sports fan, matter of fact, my wife just kind of rolls her eyes. People say, well, what, when, when, when does Jeff watch sports? And she says, well, when they're on. And I mean, I... I have a wide range of I love watching, you know, live sporting events, whether it's basketball or baseball or football or English Premier League soccer or any any one of a myriad of other sports. I have to admit that one of the sports that from a watching perspective, I've just never gotten into is is auto racing. And I, I just and, and I, I, I know that there's people who just absolutely love it. I have been to auto races. I went to the Indianapolis 500 once just because I wanted to have experience of saying I've gone there. So I've gone to various auto races over time, but not too many because it's just, it's not my thing. Don't hold it against me. It's just, it's just not my thing. But again, I also appreciate that people, you know, really enjoy it. And I think there's people, I get it. You like the sounds, you like the excitement, you like seeing the cars go by so fast, you like the possibility that there's so much danger involved. I understand the appeal. It just doesn't do anything for me. Now, one of the big issues going on in Milwaukee and in the state has been the Milwaukee Mile, the oval racetrack that is out at State Fair Park. Um, it's, it's arguably the oldest continuously operating speedway. It, it, it hosted its first mile in 1903. And there used to be like IndyCar racing that was there. And it used to be, I mean, matter of fact, they used to have a regular date where I think it was the weekend right after the Indy 500, same racers would come and they would race in, in Milwaukee. And it was a very, very big deal. Well, what happened was that people stopped coming and the attendance went down and down and down and, and ultimately the, the, the race went away for a while um it hosted open wheel and stock car events until 2010 and then after 2010 promoter problems led those races to be moved elsewhere indy cars came back from 2011 to 2015 but the the promoters couldn't make the event financially viable. As a matter of fact, like the first year or so, there were lots of people. And by the end, I don't want to say nobody, but very few people were showing up. And the promoters, they they just couldn't end up keeping it going. Since 2015, the infield road course has been used by sports car clubs. Um, There's been monthly drag races for a while. You know, they've done a couple things. But in general, it is a very, that racetrack now is a very, very underused property, which has led to a lot of conversation. Matter of fact, at Insight last year, we were talking to Kathleen O'Leary, my friend and the CEO, president and CEO of the State Fair. It's a very, very underused facility. And the question becomes, you know, what what do you end up doing with this particular property? Because the, the State Fair is paying huge debt service on improvements that they made to the grandstand. But what what is the best use for that property? If it's not going to go as a racetrack, can you really have that just stand there for, you know, a handful of shows that are going to be there during the State Fair? Or does it make more sense to kind of piece that property off, turn it into condos? I, I don't know. But it's a huge problem. And it's a huge issue that people have to deal with. Well, the story from over the weekend is that, all right, racing is coming back. Next Father's Day weekend, the State Fair Park is going to host its first oval track race since 2015. It's called the ARCA Midwest 
Tour, which is like late model cars and apparently over father's day weekend they're going to you know do a a number of of races they're going to include um something for the mid-american stock car series the midwest truck series upper midwest vintage racing series and they're going to have this midwest tour race which is scheduled for 75 laps okay so that that's that's what they're looking at and they're hoping that people are going to come our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I think there were a lot of people, myself included, who candidly, after the IndyCar series kind of went away in 2015, have been watching what's going on at the Milwaukee Mile and kind of shaking our heads saying, look, it's we understand that there's race car enthusiasts out there, but there's just not enough of them to justify, again, using this space for that. So now the announcement is, at least over Father's Day weekend, they're going to bring back racing. Is this going to be a turnaround for the Milwaukee Mile? Is this the start of something big, or is this doomed like other efforts have been doomed? 414-799-1620, you know, will people turn out to support auto racing in Milwaukee? 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 141, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so here's the deal. Over the last several years, a number of outside promoters and the folks at State Fair Park have tried to run successful racing events out at the Milwaukee Mile. They they have all failed. Some because the promoters were lousy, others because the, the economy just didn't support it. You know, recently, nobody's been able to sell enough tickets and generate enough in sponsors to offset the cost of of bringing a race in and the rent that they have to pay. Uh, State Fair Park has to pay nearly $2 million annually in debt service. So they're, they're desperately trying to figure out what to do. Now, obviously, that... That land is extremely valuable. They estimate it might be worth $1.2 billion for economic development. But on the other hand, State Fair Park, they use it, the infield for parking during the, the State Fair. You've got the grandstand that they use for shows during State Fair. But the question is, is, is that enough to justify keeping that that land that's out there? Well, the announcement is, hey, now for Father's Day weekend, they're going to bring in some races. It, it is can this make a go? Can these new races, is there a demand for auto racing in Milwaukee? John in Greenfield. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? There is a demand. Um, there's a, Especially in the state of Wisconsin here, there's a strong fan base for auto racing. And uh, you look at the way uh, when Elkhart Lake became a track again for uh, the IndyCar series, huge demand up there has been very popular mm-hmm. in drawing the crowds. Uh, but it is a it's a balance. It has to work economically. And in the past, the sanctioning fees were one of the reasons why races went away. Right, promoters couldn't make money at it. Right, and I mean the last couple of years, al- almost nobody you know showed up. The stands were pretty much empty. I mean, what? Why? Do, and and so as a result, people aren't buying tickets, so they're not generating the dough, and they can't make it make a go of it. Why do you think? Did did people lose interest? Did they? Why was it that people stopped showing up? Actually, because I've talked about this for a number of years with friends and fans, one of the problems they had here in the Milwaukee uh, for the Milwaukee Mile is with the TV uh, promotion and TV contracts. They're planning the race to start about three o'clock in the afternoon, right? And on a three o'clock on an afternoon on a Sunday, well, pretty pretty much eliminated anybody coming up from the Chicago market to the race, right? 
it's got to make sense. In the Milwaukee area, hey, we want to be able to start the race at noon, 1 o'clock. It's over by 3 o'clock. You know, by the time you traffic out, we can be back home for time for dinner. Right, right. And that was one of the problems. It's, if it's a late start and you know, anybody that has to travel a bit, you're not going to show up. Right. Okay, so what they're talking about this year, I mean, it's, it's not IndyCar racing or anything like that. Um, it's. Do, do you think something like this is going to succeed? I think it's a really good start. It's been a way – racing's been missing from the Milwaukee Mile for uh, several years, and there's been some great racing on there. I think it will actually draw fans, especially being on a Father's Day. It's a great opportunity to say, hey, Father's Day, I want to go to the race. Right. And it's a great opportunity for dads and sons and, and fans to to go. Truth is, with that being announced, I'm going to take a serious look at it myself. Are you thinking about going? Well, I mean, thanks for call. I mean, I, I'm getting a number of texts. People are saying, Jeff, the uh, thanks for the call. Um, it, attendance should be great. Let's see. The race for Father's Day weekend will be a huge success. It is blowing up on social media. Well, that, I mean, that's that, that's great. Um, it, of course, that means that that means that that blowing up on social media means it has to translate into people you know going out and, and buying tickets to to go to the event you know but it look i'm not i'm not wishing against it i i'm not but i think at some i do believe that at some point in time the the folks on the state fair park board are, are going to have to let me use the cliche fisher cut bait you've got you have this incredibly valuable asset that, that's there, the, the land. And I understand that you need to use the grandstands for, you need to use the grandstands for some of, for the this run of the state fair, for the different shows that they have. And, and you need to use that parking. Of course, you know, there might be other parking in the neighborhoods or things like that. At some point in time, I think we're going to have to decide, can racing make a go of it? And, and the answer so far has been no. Now, I'm not, I'm not wishing against the success of this particular race. I, I hope, I hope people flock there and I hope the reaction is, hey, this is a, this will be a, the impetus for other promoters to bring back other races. Cause right now it is an incredibly underused asset. At the same time, Sometimes things just run their course. Let me give you an example of, of the golf tournament. The, the last iteration, I think, was like the U.S. Bank Open. I, I think most of us remember it as being the GMO, the Greater Milwaukee Open. It People love to have the golf there. But because it always had kind of crummy dates, it, it never got the world's best golfers. got really, really good golfers, don't get me wrong, but you never had too many of the really big names that came here. And what happened is over the years, people just got tired of it. There wasn't enough of an attraction to bring people out. And at the end, I remember the folks from U.S. Bank saying, hey, we staged this event for a couple million dollars and just nobody came. Um, I don't want to say nobody came, but the attendance was very, very small. You see this from different things. If you were of a certain age, you remember when the circus parade was just absolutely huge. They used to do that every year. Well, it, it was cool for a while, and then what ended up happening is fewer and fewer people started attending, and now we, we don't do the circus parade anymore. I don't know if this event's going to be a success or not. Again, I, I'm not rooting against it, but I do know at some point in time, if if you keep trying to have auto racing there and people don't show up, 
you have to simply say, all right, we, we've got to move to our plan B because you just can't allow that type of valuable property to sit essentially unused for 340 days out, out of the year. And if you can't make a go of auto racing, maybe then what you need to do is at least think, can we piece this thing out? Can we figure out a way to keep the grandstands but then sell part of it off for retail or commercial or whatever? You, you've got to do that. So, I mean, I hope this works out. And I do think that this is something, it's kind of a message for auto racing fans in this community. And that is, if if you want to preserve this, if you want to see racing stay at the Milwaukee Mile, and if you want to continue to see that be a continuously operating speed track, racetrack, you're, you're going to have to reach into your pocket, you're going to have to buy tickets, and you're going to have to go out and, and support it. And if you don't, well, don't be surprised if it goes away. This seems to me to be one last kind of Hail Mary shot. Hope it works. Time will tell. It's 150. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 153. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I was talking to my brother this morning about something, and I, I, we one of the subjects of discussion was that it, it's amazing that we survived being kids because I, I grew up in that era of, for example, lawn darts. And, I, you know, I... Jordan, I don't know if you were familiar with it. They don't make these things anymore. But, yeah, but, you know, they would call them, we used to call them jarts. That was one of the brand names. And it was like horseshoes, except these were, these were big lawn darts. Now, Lord knows they don't sell these things anymore, but you'd go out and you'd play them like horseshoes and you'd, you'd chuck these things. And, you know, sometimes people would chuck them at other people and things like that. And somehow, somehow we survived the era of lawn darts or jarts or whatever. They also had, these things like slip and slides. I mean, slip and slides used to be made. It was a long sheet of thin plastic, and and then what they did is the the you hook it up to a garden hose. You run water through the the hose, and it, it makes this like plastic thing, and you can go and you just kind of do a belly flop and you slide on it. Well, okay, the the Consumer Product Safety Commission came in and they said that okay, you know, children don't do this because there's the risk of back and neck injuries because if you're taller or you're heavier you might stop and you might bang into each other and so you know now you know good luck finding a slip and slide all, all those different types of things and and look i understand maybe lawn darts could be dangerous maybe the slip and slides could be dangerous but you you do wonder how far you carry this there is a community in colorado and I, I do not make this up a community in colorado who up until just the other day made it illegal to throw a snowball. Snowball fights, I'm not making this up, snowball fights were illegal. They had a statute which essentially said that it was, there's an ordinance that makes it illegal to throw or shoot stones or missiles at people. And snowballs fell under the town's definition of missiles. So, I mean, I, I get the idea, the idea essentially being, well, you know, we don't want you, I don't know, throwing rocks at people or things like that. But they interpreted snowballs to be that. So, I mean, I, I don't, I assume maybe water balloons fell into that same category. But anyhow, in the category of a child shall lead us, there's this nine-year-old kid, who nine-year-old kid who lives in this town, who is getting ready to get into, he wants to throw snowballs at his little brother. And he is told... Well, no, you you can't throw snowballs because it's against the law to throw these snowballs. And the kid says, well, 
this what do you mean it's against the law to throw snowballs we live in this town in colorado and there's lots of snow and of course you go out that's one of the things one of the rituals about you know growing up is you have a snowball fight so his his mom says, well, no, the, the son had been talking about doing this, but we told him that it's illegal to throw a snowball within town limits. And he says, well, that just makes no sense at all. So in a lesson that says that you can, in fight, fact, fight City Hall, apparently the kids in the town you know, got together, and they went to this board meeting, and they said, we want to be able to throw snowballs. And at one point in time, one of the court, com- one of the commissioners said, "Well, I'm just curious, nine-year-old boy, if you know if it's legal to throw snowballs, you know who would you throw a snowball at?" And not surprisingly, my little brother can relate to this. Guy, the nine-year-old points to his four-year-old brother and says, "He's the first one that that's getting that's getting hit." So, bottom line is, after the kids go in and you know they they appeal, turns out that now showing that you can fight City Hall, they are going to get rid of this anti-snowball ordinance. So the bottom line of all this is that the kid's little brother better look out because the next time it snows, you're actually going to have a snowball fight. Now, I bring this up because one of the things that we've had around here, I think, is this kind of death of common sense, that this idea that we've got to protect ourselves, the idea that well, you, you can't have lawn darts because maybe somebody might get hurt. And you can't have a slip and slide because, gee, if you get too many people on it, you might bang into each other and somebody could end up paralyzed. Well, I, I understand there's always that potential. Or we can't have snowball fights because somebody might get hit in the head and end up with, uh, again, an injury. Yes, all that is true. And all that stuff, type of stuff can happen. And you can always look at the worst case scenario. But at the same time, I mean, seriously, there are things that we used to do when we were growing up that were just kind of fun, and there's always a little bit of risk to them. You can't bubble wrap people, and if that means allowing kids to have an occasional snowball fight or going down the slip and slide or, heaven forbid, throwing the lawn darts, maybe maybe we need to say, all right, let, let's go back to the future, huh? 140, 148, 158, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in the next hour of the program, we're going to talk about tipping baristas. We're going to talk about a government shutdown. And we're going to talk about what could this missionary have possibly been thinking. Stick around. It's all coming up. 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Melissa, I have just learned something, courtesy of one of our astute listeners. What's that? All right, so right before the break, I was talking about this ridiculous town in Colorado that had this ordinance on the book that prevented kids from throwing snowballs, and a nine-year-old decides, this is dumb. So all these kids go together, and kind of like in a Mr. Smith goes to Washington mode. And he was so cute. Did you see the video? He had a little bow tie. Went right. To, yeah, it was adorable. Right, they go, <laughs> and the... And the and the, the board recognizes mm-hmm. this is probably a pretty stupid ordinance. And so they, they allow it and they, they say, okay, who's the first snowball you're going to throw? And he kind of points at his brother. Yeah. All right. So, so we're kind of mocking that. And again, I, I grew up in an era of slip and slides and lawn darts and things like that. But one of our listeners says, all right, before you make fun of this town in Colorado, did you know that the village of Greendale also outlaws throwing snowballs? And they have sent me. This I am looking at the Greendale City Ordinance, the code, Section 9.03, throwing or shooting missiles and projectiles. Now, let me say at the start here, Melissa, I mean, I think, as a general rule, I'm against throwing or shooting missiles and projectiles, <laughs> right? Okay, as a general That's rule. That's right? what you'd call common sense, Well, Jack. right, exactly. All right, you know, no hand grenades or things like that. Here's, here's what it reads. 
no person shall throw or shoot any object, liquid, arrow, stone, snowball, or other missile or projectile by hand or by any other means at any other person or, you know, at, in, or into anything else. So, yeah, they, they, there is an ordinance in Greendale. So water balloons. Water balloons. Out nope, of there. No, no water balloons. No water Absolutely. balloons. Absolutely. Okay. No, no water. Now, see, I understand stones and arrows. I get that. Rocks, stuff like that. You think but, some of these laws are just, they're just so old, they just haven't changed them? Oh, do you think so? I'll, I think that's no, true. You know, I'll they, bet you, no, no, I'll bet See, I just disagree with you. I bet you there's people listening to us saying in, in Greendale, go, well, of course we don't let people throw snowballs. Don't you realize what could happen? It could shoot their eye out or something. Do we really want to let... Children throw snowballs at each other. Somebody could get hurt. Um, yeah, well, right. I, I do. Yeah, I wonder. I don't have the whole statue in front of me. Our, our producer Justin says, "What about dodgeball?" Well, I, I assume that there's. I assume that there's some like exceptions and stuff for for, for like, like having baseball, a, right, or for having a catch or something, mm-hmm. right? Oh, well, he threw that object <laughs> at me or something like that. But yeah, no, that's snowballs. Interesting. Throwing or shooting missiles and projectiles, and a snowball is defined as that. Hmm. Well, if we're ever in Greendale together, I will not throw a snowball at you or water balloon. Oh no, no. Yeah. See, no. See, that's 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 the one where you want to be the test case. <laughs> you know, that that's the one where you want to just kind of like get one of those little well, snowballs like to... and just kind of like throw it at me from behind. Well, has anyone actually been arrested for this? I mean, it, I mean, it's a law, but. Does anyone actually abide by it? I don't know. I've got a text from James. He says, you know, we we moved to Greendale. I had to warn my kids that if you're out there having a snowball fight, you might might find yourself in trouble. Huh. Just saying. So just be warned. Be warned. This is the educational event. All right. So like in if you live in Greendale, you can't throw rocks. You can't throw liquid. You can't shoot arrows. You can't toss stones. And you also can't throw a snowball. At I think anyone. I did all of that as a kid, like you, Jeff. Well, did all of it. Well, you certainly not, threw not snowballs people, and really, stuff but. like that. Oh, well, in any event. All right. That, we, I guess it's nice to know that that's where your crime is. I guess that you can concentrate on things like that. All right. Let us completely and totally switch gears. It is mind boggling to me. But not surprising that the federal government cannot get its act together. Now, in the state of Wisconsin, one of the things that the legislature and the governor are required to have a a budget, right? They're they're required to have a budget and they're required to have it in a certain time limit. The federal government does not have any sort of requirement of that. And that's why we've been without a budget forever. What the federal government does is because we can't agree on a budget, they pass a series of continuing resolutions to keep the government rolling, um, but they don't get around to passing a uh, budget. So you, you might remember early earlier this year, lawmakers were able to pass a series of spending bills for things like defense, education, veterans affair, and energy. So all these programs were going to be funded through the next fiscal year, which means essentially through like October of of 2019. But Congress couldn't finish a bunch of other appropriation bills. And so what they did is they passed one of these continuing resolutions. So they they continue funding things like Homeland Security and Commerce and the State Department and the Justice Department and the Department of Interior, you know, pretty important sort sort of agencies. And they decided they were going to continue 
with one of these sort of temporary spending bills. That spending, that temporary spending authorization, was set to expire this week. Well, because of the passing of President Bush, what they did is they continued this to December 21st. So December 21st, right before Christmas, the the deadline for funding all these different agencies expires. Now, does that mean that the government is going to shut down and none of these departments will operate? Well, no. But what it means is that workers can get furloughed right around Christmas time. Uh, typically, what's happened is they don't have to come into work, but then when they pass a resolution, they get back pay. So it costs the taxpayers a bunch of money. Some, some business, some of the things that these departments do close down. For example, you know, maybe they shut down national parks or things like that. We've all been through this before. But unless something happens before December 21st, a number of these agencies run out of money. So, so what's the deal? Well, President Trump says, He's not going to sign any more continuing spending rev- resolutions unless Congress gives him five B as in billion dollars to build the border wall. Now, the proposals that are out there right now um, apparently have one point six seven billion for enhanced border security, but they don't have five billion dollars for the wall. And President Trump is signaling that he is prepared to allow some of these government agencies to quote unquote shut down if he doesn't get his five billion by December twenty first. And the sense I get from people in Congress is that they have no intention of giving him his five billion dollars in any sort of stopgap spending bill, which raises the question, is this worth shutting down the government over? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Let's tee this up. Is it worth shutting down the government? And again, that means different things to different people. But is it worth letting the funding for Homeland Security and Commerce and the State Department and the Justice Department and the Interior Department, is it worth letting all this run out? So essentially you're going to have a cutback of services and people temporarily temporarily laid off. Is, is funding for the border wall worth it? Or would this be just political suicide for President Trump to do this. 414-799-1620. I have a strong opinion on this, but I'd like to know what you think. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 215. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 218. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Lawmakers are set to wrap up their lame duck session in Madison today. What happens moving forward? Tune in. Gene Miller will have the latest 751 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Okay, here's the deal. The, The government or at least many agencies in the government, was scheduled to run out of of money this week. Because of the passing of President Bush, they've extended that deadline for two weeks. But again, it looks like it is an impasse. President Trump says he's not going to sign anything unless it includes $5 billion in spending for his border wall. Congress doesn't appear inclined to give him that. Should we go ahead and shut down? And again, that doesn't mean a complete shutdown, but it, it... lays off people, non-essential workers. It might close parks and things like that four days before Christmas. Is it worth doing that? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kim in Rockford. Kim, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Kim. I remember him saying specifically that Mexico is going to pay for the wall. 
You do, huh? Let me yeah. let me think. You seem to remember that too, huh? Mexico was yeah. going to pay for that. And he doesn't bring it up anymore, I guess. I I guess I guess not, right? I thought. Now look, I I've all you know, Kim. I I've always. I thought when the president was talking about a wall, he was kind of using it as a metaphor for, sure. you know, but but no, he, he's actually talking about a wall. And yes, you're right. The president did say that Mexico was going to pay for it. I don't hear much of that conversation anymore. No, thanks for calling. I, well, that see, that actually was, was the first thing I thought of when, when this subject came up. First of all, I, I think it would be insanity to shut down the government over this particular issue. I have been, I am old enough to have been around various government shutdowns since the mid-1990s over these issues. And I will tell you, Republicans almost always get blamed. Whether that's fair or not, I don't know. But Republicans almost always get blamed for that. And then typically what ends up happening is when the government shuts down, it, it shuts down in a way that causes the, the most potential harm. Oh, we've got all these kids that are coming and they want to see the Smithsonian's. Well, we're going to close the Smithsonian's. And then these crying kids or we traveled all the way to Washington and we always wanted to see this and now we can't get into the museums. It, it's it's always that that ends up being emphasized. And I think, you know, you just have to pick your battles. And that's one of the things that I think Republicans still don't think in some respects have learned, or maybe President Trump hasn't learned, that, you know, when you have these things that happen, there there are optics and people are going to get blamed. Now, if you shut down the government temporarily in December of 2018, is anybody going to remember that or care about it by the time the next round of elections roll around in 2020? No, the answer is probably not, because inevitably what happens is, now, the sides reach an agreement and you get the money and the government reopens and the federal employees who got furloughed and didn't go into work, they get back pay. So essentially it's extra vacation time. And then we just kind of go ahead and we, we limp along. The bigger problem is that you just can't get sustainable budgets. And that's a tribute to the dysfunction that is in Washington. But four days before Christmas, to be playing you know, chicken with like shutting down the government and creating an issue which I think at, at best is a distraction and at worst I, I think it's a huge detriment, particularly Republicans, to me would make no sense. I, I hope I hope President Trump can figure out a way to save face, sign whatever spending bills he gets, keep the government open, and then let's fight the, the big battle, which is, again, maybe it's mainstream immigration reform, and maybe with Democrats taking over the House of Representatives, maybe maybe there's a way that you can reach some sort of deal, but shutting down the government at this point in time makes absolutely no sense to me. 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, um... About a month and a half ago, my brother and I, we were in Las Vegas, went to Las Vegas for a long weekend, and we were at a buffet at one of the the restaurants. So what happens is, because I'm a good brother, I was picking up the tab for it. And so I, I, I okay, we got two, you know, two breakfasts or, or whatever it is, and th- there's a touch screen that's there, and the, the, the lady behind the counter says, okay, well, well, here it is, and they spin the touch screen around, it's got the the cost of the two meals, and then it's got an entry form on on the touchscreen for how much of a tip that I I want to leave. And it's got like one box that says like fifteen percent, one that says you could just hit fifteen percent, one that says twenty percent, one that says twenty five percent, or you can say like like no tip, 
And or you can say, I think it said custom tip or something like that, where you could, you know, put in your your own number if you wanted to. And this is all as you're sitting there, you know, as you're standing in line, there's all these people behind us, you know, waiting, waiting to pay. Now, did I mention it's also it's a buffet. So typically, you know, in the past, again, you're you're getting your own food. Now, I understand that there's a there's somebody that comes around and asks how your food was and clears your plates if you want to go back and get a second one. But at this particular buffet, you're. You're getting your own food. You're getting all your own, you know, drinks, your soda, your coffee, or whatever. So I am sitting there thinking, all right, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not really that guy. I mean, normally I think I kind of tip generously, but it's like 15 or 20 or 25%, and they're not even serving you. They're, they're clearing the plates, and I agree that maybe it's worth something. But at the same time, I'm sitting here thinking, if I, if I hit the no tip button, am I going to look like a cheap you-know-what? And, I mean, the custom tip, well, now it's starting to get a bunch of work because I got 40 people behind me. So I, I ended up, I, I think, hitting the 15%. But I will tell you, I've been kicking myself because that is more of a tip than I would normally leave. But it was all because this thing was kind of put in front of me, and I kind of wanted to get past it and felt a little bit of peer pressure. Okay, shame on me. Th- that's it. It's interesting because I've been thinking about this, and there was a story in the Chicago Tribune the other day about how – this type of thing is becoming the, the norm. And the example, the story that I was looking at uses is at a coffee shop where you, you go in and I, I, I make my own coffee at home. I, I do. The idea of, the idea of dropping like three and four and five dollars for a specialty coffee, to me, that's God's way of telling you you have too much money. But I, I, I you know, I, I defer to that. But apparently, like the story is that, that this is the, the common sort of thing. You've got the, the cashier that's there. You order, I want my latte or I, I want my black coffee and it's all right. This is $3 and 15 cents. And then you, you've got the buttons there, 15, 20, 25%, or you can say no tip. And a lot of people are just like me in Las Vegas. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, th- these default settings that they have really, you know, make yourself caught between two bad choices, you know, leave, 15 or 20 percent for somebody you know who's essentially pouring you a cup of black coffee or feel like you're some sort of cheapskate for not doing that all right 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line undoubtedly you have started running into some of this stuff as well the idea that you know, it's it's not just you signing subtly if you want to leave a tip. It's these touch screens. You're there, and you know everybody's watching you as you decide whether you want to push that button that says fifteen or twenty or twenty five percent. Under those circumstances, how how much do you how much do you tip? Do do you tip somebody fifteen or twenty or twenty five percent for pouring you that that black coffee or for I don't know clearing your plates at your buffet? Or do you just kind of resist the pressure and say no tip or do the custom tip? How do you handle this? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I, I, I kind of gave in. I, I sort of froze when I saw this. I hit the button that said 15%. But normally there's no way I would have tipped 15% at a, at a buffet 
where I in Las Vegas where I was doing all the work. 414-799-1620. How do you handle this? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. We'll be back to take calls right after the news. 234, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 2018 marks the 13th year of Kids to Kids Christmas from Capco Metal Stamping and WTMJ. In that time, we've given away nearly 200,000 toys to kids in need thanks to your generosity. To find out where you can drop off a toy or make a donation, head to WTMJ.com right now. Don't forget that this Friday, we will be live at Albrecht Century in Delafield. You can see it from the freeway. Stop by from noon until 6. I will be there from noon to 3. Wisconsin's Afternoon News follows me. Help us spread the holiday cheer. All right. Let's just go to the text before we go to the calls here. Let's see. Jeff, I manage restaurants, and I believe in tipping. If it's if it's because somebody did a good job, not for pouring a black coffee, I would not leave a tip, um, and I wouldn't worry about what people think. Uh, here's another text. Rookie mistake, Jeff. All those places, those types of places, like at the buffet line, I do not tip. Uh, Greg and Appleton. Greg says, Jeff, I ran into the same situation at a winery. I bought a bottle of wine. They opened it, and I took it to our table. The first option on the electronic thing was a 15% tip. I chose that just to be the easiest and not take too much time, but it's ridiculous to tip 15% to open a bottle of wine. Another text, we leave zero tip on the machine. Always leave a cash tip on the table. Uh, Jeff, this happened to me at a local pizza restaurant when I paid Picked up my takeout pizza. I wasn't going to tip for the takeout pizza. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Linda in West Bend. Hi, Linda. Hi. Um, I do not tip on those types of things either. Um, Potawatomi at the food court has those touch pads, and right. you just go to open order just like you would at McDonald's, and then they turn it around, and you're supposed to hit this, do you want it, you know, how much do you want to tip? And I hit no tip because you did not provide me a service. You did not bring the food to my table. I'm ordering just as I would at McDonald's, and I wouldn't tip at McDonald's. Well, right. I, I guess that that's kind of, that's it. I mean, that's, and again, you're in, you know, you're, you're in line at the, at the, the coffee doodle place and you order like a black coffee. I mean, you know, right. At McDonald's, you're exactly right. I'm not going to tip the nice young man or nice young lady, you know, for giving me my double cheeseburger and my cup of coffee. Is it different that you tip somebody for pouring that black coffee? And my, my answer would be, I, I don't, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be a cheapskate, but I don't necessarily think so. No, no, I, I agree. I mean, otherwise, we why don't we just tip everybody for doing their jobs? If that's what we're going to do now is tip every job, well, then I would like a tip for my job. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> that's right. So maybe when I'm on remote, I should just, like, put out one of those little, like, like buckets or something. And right, people could throw, and write yeah. tips on it. <laughs> yeah, right. Thanks for the call here. It's kind of like the street performers and stuff. And, and look, I'm... I'm not a cheapskate. I think, I mean, again, my, my wife is in the hospitality industry, and she will just always say about, you know, she said, well, I think you're actually over-tipping. And I, I, I do that because, again, I I, I appreciate how, how people live on tips and things like that. But I was kind of taken aback. And, and now it's just this sort of subtle pressure that you're getting. And I guess nobody makes you do that but i mean it is the kind of subtle pressure where they turn that pad to you you're paying with the credit card and it's okay well how much of a tip do you want to add in well okay it's it's a buffet and and they're really not going to be doing anything other than like clearing a plate or something i don't know normally i throw a buck or two in there but they, they you know 15 or 20 percent really 414-799-1620 let's talk to dan uh, in lamira dan you're on wtmj hello 
Hi, Jeff. How's it going today? Real well, thank you. Okay, am I? I mean, is this? Am I being a cheapskate because I'm uncomfortable just hitting that fifteen or twenty percent tip thing? No, I think uh, the way to handle this whole situation is just to pay everything with cash, right? Because most of the places don't even know how to handle cash anymore, <laughs> and usually bypass those screens right away. So, my way of handling it is just to hand them. Uh, folding money and take care of it that way. Um, yeah, so right, it's just kind of like, yeah, and, and you'll leave it there. No, thanks for calling. Here's interesting, Jeff. This just happened to me 15 minutes ago. At I'm not going to place name the place. I hit 20. percent I have been thinking about it since, and it bugs me. Then you bring it up, laugh out loud. Order taker was very friendly, but I, I, I really, I paid three dollars and twenty five cents extra for her to take my my order. <laughs> I tip well when it's full service. I just hit the button automatically. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think about that hitting the button automatically. Now you don't want to look like you know a cheap so and so, but like I say, if okay, you're you're in the coffee doodle place, and I say I want a large black coffee. And so they take the cup, they go over, they pour the large black coffee, they put the uh, top on it, and they give it to me. All right, am, am I going to really be tipping on that? I mean, really? And then you're right. If I'm not going to tip on that, if I'm not going to tip at McDonald's when they actually give me food or Burger King or whatever, okay, why am I tipping on that? And I'm not trying to discourage people from helping out the baristas and stuff, but I don't know. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, let's see, Brian in Kenosha. Brian, you're in WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How do you handle this? Well, you know, I, I go to a takeout pizza place in Kenosha, and I've, and I've always just paid what I what was owed to them. I never tip because they're just handing me a pizza over the, a couple pizzas over the counter. Uh-huh. And, and I never felt obligated to give them any kind of a tip because they're not really. I've already paid for the service of making pizzas, so right. for, for takeout, I just I don't know. I've never I've never tipped, and I don't I don't really feel obligated to tip. So I hope that's not like. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, thing. no, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, what, what I'll typically do. In that situation, well, for, I mean, it it, it kind of depends. I mean, sometimes if, if I'll order a pizza, for example, and I sometimes I I, I won't order it ahead of time. So I'll, I'll, I'll there's a pizza place I go to from time to time to get a bar. So I'll sit, I'll go up to the bar, I'll have a beer, I'll order the pizza, and then I'll you know I'll interact with the bartender. And I will. Am I tipping twenty percent or something? No, but I'll, I'll round up and throw in a couple bucks, like like I would typically do that. But but yeah, I don't. I, I guess I just I, I think at some point in time you have to draw the line. Here's a text, Jeff. I am a high level fine dining server. I work hard for my tips and have to know quite a lot. Frankly, it offends me to even be asked at a place like a Dairy Queen or a Subway to see a tip jar. Um, yeah, t- a coffee shop to me is like tipping a is a bartender. Um, 414-799-1620. Let's see, wait staff that make less than minimum wage, you get a nice tip, but not necessarily for everyone. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, we've got Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. If anything, you deserve a tip for when you do your job too. <laughs> Thank you. No, I, I, I am, I am, I am well compensated by my employer. You don't need to throw any tips. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Thank you, though. <laughs> well, and that that kind of gets to my point is that you know gratuity was really it's designed for two things. One is to reward like the high end server, the the people that are doing a great job for your experience, 
but the other is for the industries where, you know, they are making less than minimum wage and the gratuity is getting them up to and beyond minimum wage. Right. So, you know, I, you know, I've got a buddy that owns a hardware store and I joked with him, when are you going to get the tip jar out here on the counter? Um, Because it's really no different than takeout or, you know, frankly, well, yeah, I mean, no, that's a you have a you have a great example, Chris. Okay, so I let's I I go into my my local hardware store that I go into a lot and I've got some like weird little light bulb or something. And one of the people says, can I help you, sir? And I say, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for this. And they take me to the aisle and they go over and they find the particular size of weird size of light bulb that I need. Do, do I, I, I mean, I, it's never occurred to me to tip that, that person. I just thought that kind of, you know, come, it's, I don't say, here, here's five bucks. Thanks for finding me that light bulb. I just say, thank you. And then it, I go it, pay for it. And Jeff, um, something else that I just came up in the last couple of weeks, um, uh, a classmate set up a GoFundMe page for one of our classmates that is um, going through cancer treatment. And I went in uh, to make my donation and then a pop-up, uh, pop-up box came up for helping support GoFundMe so they can maintain their site in one night. Like you were saying, the default was, would you like to, you know, contribute 10, 15, 20 percent? Right. It didn't have an other option, but <laughs> I scrolled down and you could enter an amount, and I did zero, and it took it. Okay. But I noticed that as we were watching the other donations come through, all of a sudden it went from like $4,100 to 4404 but there were no $44 donations. It was people that didn't think to scroll down to it, and oh. they defaulted and said, "Well, I'm stuck into kicking ten percent in here to go fund me." Oh, um, okay, right. You, yeah. That that's uh, that, that's the thing where the default becomes the the norm, and that's what they're hoping. Yeah, no, I, I th- exactly. I think that's that's what the case is. They're hoping people tr- now. Again, I I, I want to be real clear here. I am I am not suggesting that people don't tip and don't tip generously on on the traditional type of service. All right, but. I, I'm talking about the situation where, uh, again, you're you're paying in the buffet line, for example, in, in advance. Like my example was Las Vegas, and you, you pay up front, and the, you, you know you're you're not going to really interact with servers. You get everything yourself. Somebody comes around and cleans the plates. Um, under normal circumstances, would I leave a couple dollars on the table? Probably, but the default is ask me fifteen or twenty or twenty five percent. The other example again is is the coffee shop where you know you're. Now, for me, it's just black coffee, but all right, let, let's say you want a latte or something. Is there an expectation that you're going to, you know, provide a, a tip for the person that's making that? And, and 15 to 20 percent, how is it different if you're providing a 15 to 20 percent tip there uh, than, like, again, the, the guy in the hardware store or whatever? It's it's whatever you feel comfortable doing. Don't Don't get me wrong. But one of the things you're starting to see with technology is more and more places are using, again, going to these touch pads where, all right, you, you've got that pressure to make that instant decision. I froze. <laughs> I admit, I froze the, the first time I, I saw this. I don't think I'm going to freeze in the future. It's 245. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yep, I choked. I just, I choked. Do you want 15 or 20 or 25 percent? And I just, I, I just, I probably would have just said no tip and then thrown a couple bucks on the table like I normally did. But the darn thing took me by surprise. Never again. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And in that discussion of of gratuities, we, of course, ignored the, the giant elephant in the room, which is what do you do around the holidays? I mean, what do you do for people who provide you regular services? For example, my guess is that if you've got when when you go to your barber or you go to the the hair salon, 
My guess is that what you typically do is you you tip somebody after they've provided the the service. I go in for a haircut, give my barber, you know, a, a tip. All right, do you give them an extra tip at the holidays? beyond the tip that you would traditionally give them. Um, if you've got a, a babysitter, how do you do this? Uh, the, the dog walker, the personal trainer, the house cleaner, you know, what What do you do in those situations? The handyman. Um, and then, of course, do you give the, the folks that pick up your, your garbage? Do you give them money? Do you give, I don't know, your child's teacher a, a gift? Do you give your mailman a gift? And by the way, um, if if you're giving your mail carrier a, a gift, the gift has to be worth uh, $20 or less, no cash or gift cards per federal regulations. But again, it's one of these these things that you want to you want to do the right thing. But at the same time, you're like, OK, well, I mean, I if if somebody is providing a regular service and I always leave a kind of generous tip because it's the holidays, do you give do you give even more? That, of course, opens up a whole new can of worms. Maybe we'll discuss that sometime before the holidays. The um, What if they had an event and, and nobody came? Michelle Obama is out on her book tour, and she is filling big arenas. Michelle Obama is, I, I mean, I, I tell you, She's hot right now, so she's going around. Her, her book is number one on the nonfiction bestseller list, and, and she's packing, you know, several thousand-seat auditoriums, people who are paying money to come and, and hear her, her do do her thing. And I, I think that's great, you know, and that's one of the ways that you can tell, hey, you know, who's hot right now? Michelle Obama filling the places. If you want an indication of, of who's not, you look at the recent tour embarked on by Bill and Hillary Clinton, why anybody thought that this was going to be a good idea is beyond me. But if you haven't heard this, Bill and Hillary Clinton are out on the road. Now, this is the same Hillary Clinton who apparently, according to at least some people close to her, still thinks that, you know, maybe she could be president and maybe she's going to run again. Maureen Dowd, who's a liberal columnist for The New York Times, um, she she had a brutal piece the other day. It's called Curtains for the Clintons. Um, and she, you know, she said I, she's covered Bill and Hillary Clinton for 27 years. Apparently, she's she's in Toronto at at this hockey rink where they're they're doing their their presentation. They're doing their you know night with them. And apparently, this is what she says: It's a depressing sight. It's two for the price of one in half of the arena. The hockey rink is half curtained off, but even with that. Organizers are scrambling to cordon off more sections behind thick black curtains because of a lack of sale. On the day of the event, some old, old unsold tickets were slashed to single digits, which means six, seven, eight, nine dollars to get in and see this. Apparently, the event just people aren't aren't interested in an evening with President Bill Clinton and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. They were supposed to do something in the Houston area this week. Apparently, the ticket sales were just non-existent, but they canceled that because of the passing of President Bush, and they said that they would, you know, reschedule this. But, I mean, you know, the bottom line is there, there is a time for everything. And, I mean, right now, there are some politicians that are just really, really hot, or some people who've been, you know, on the cusp of politics. Michelle Obama, extremely hot. Bill and Hillary Clinton, if you didn't realize they were yesterday's news before, I mean, who thought that they would 
they would be packing arenas anymore. And the truth is, they're out there. Now, apparently, they don't have any events scheduled until April. My prediction is that there, there are probably not going to be any more events, period, just because, again, it's it's not 2000. It's not 1998. The draw of the Clintons is kind of gone. Their time has passed. They had a good run. Lord knows they had a good run but they're not the future. And I think it's going to be really interesting to me to see as we move over the next couple of years and the Democrats decide who they're going to run for president, the question becomes, are they going to be looking to the past and choosing people to run who are in their 70s or above? Um, Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, or are going to they be looking for that sort of transformational young candidate, the, the next generation? And I think a lot of that decision is going to say a lot about who ends up winning the presidency um, in a couple of years from now. Just saying. In any event, if you want, if Bill and Hillary Clinton are coming to an arena near you, chances are you will be able to pick up tickets really, really cheap. I would advise you not to pay face value. My guess is the day of the event, you can get a pretty darn good deal somewhere else. It is 2.53. Scott Warris is in for John McCure. He's on vacation. And Melissa Barkley is, of course, here. We'll find out what they have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.